0: Yeah, Lord, we just, we just thank you, Lord, that tonight we get to come and we get to worship you, that we get to come and be with you. And Father, I really want to pray that tonight you would speak to each one of us, that, Lord, that you would open our hearts to, to know you more, and that, Lord, that you would really just put us in a place to encounter you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that now as we enter into this time of worship, as we listen to this amazing preaching, Lord, that you would show us something new, something more of who you are. Yes, Lord.
1: I'm gonna lift you up, I'm gonna shout out loud that you are, you are the living God. Shout your praise! I'm gonna lift you up. I'm gonna shout your
2: praise. That you are, you are the living God. I'm gonna shout your praise. I'm gonna lift you up. I'm gonna shout out loud. That you. at the Croscow, you did it all for me, yeah, it all cause you love me, oh, I'm gonna shout your praise, I'm gonna lift you up, I'm gonna shout
3: the victory so i will shout you
0: Shout of praise and everyone said, "Amen!" Fantastic. How are we doing on this Sunday? whatever date this is? But it's good. You can have a seat. Do we have any uh, Highlanders supporters in the house? A few, a few. Yeah, I was, I was cheering for the Highlanders. Uh, so that was, that was a good night. Good night. Uh, Crusaders should have been there, but we'll just don't worry about that. But uh, is there any uh, new people? If this is your first or second time here at Activate Church, we would love to give you a little bag. So we've got a few people with their hands up. Thank you, hosting. And at the back too, hey Church, why don't we give these uh, people a huge uh, welcome to Activate Church. awesome to have you here. So there are a few people at the back. That was awesome. That is really good. Hey, uh, who would like some chocolate? Okay, uh, keep your hand up if it was your birthday in the last week. Oh, Ben Ong. Come forward, come forward. Come how, old th- how old did you turn? 11, 11 fantastic. And uh, Mr Ong, how old did you turn? Uh, 21. 21, come on. Hey church, why don't you stand and we're gonna pray. Stand with me and we're gonna pray for these awesome two people. So just uh, follow the screen with me. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favor, prosperity and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you grab a handful of chocolate and just throw it around because everyone just wants chocolate. And we've got a couple of notices. Um, to, oh, a lot of chocolate, great, for you to be aware of. And that is, uh, we've got Ian Green coming up on the 25th and the 26th of July. So uh, grab a flyer, make sure you come along to that. He was our keynote speaker at um, Activate Conference last year and he was fantastic. So make sure you get along to this, it's gonna be an incredible time. And we have We Are Family. I won't sing the song, um, mainly, mainly because we want you guys to stay in church for the rest of the worship and for Pastor Ray speaking So I won't be singing um, But we are family, it's going to be just an incredible service next Sunday morning at the 10.30 service So really what it is, you know, we don't have children's church for the kids So we thought why don't we do a church service that caters to everyone so it's gonna to cater to the little kids, all the adults. So it's gonna be a family service. It's gonna be so much fun. So make sure uh, you get there, it's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna invite my friend Tyra up and Tyra's gonna do a quick testimony of uh, the goodness that she brought into someone's life this week. Thanks, Tyra. Thanks
4: Luke, I thought you were kidding. Um, well, I work in town at Portman's so I'm part of the Just Group. <laughs> um, and this week I've been covering shifts in Dottie. Um, and I get to do the all of the, the stuff that people that are running the day um, do. So I was doing an errand and then I was coming back from it and there was this lady in the wheelchair and um, she stopped me and she goes, do you know where Cash Converters is? And I was like, yeah, I know where that is. And I gave her directions and she was like, I still don't understand you. Would you better walk me there? And I was kind of like awkward because <laughs> um, she was in a wheelchair and I've never met her. But I was like, all right, I'll take you there. And um, we we're walking there and she was actually pretty lovely. She was chatting away. She, um, I just felt like I needed to ask her how she got there. And um, she was like, oh, I got here by the ambulance. And I was like, oh, you've been up at the hospital? And she's like, yeah, I've been on dialysis. And I was like, Oh, really? what for? And um she said, "I'm on there because I have um, problems with my lungs and um and I'm going to have them for the rest of my life and I was only about halfway there, and my heart started pounding and I clearly heard pray for her, and I'm not the type of person to just go up to someone on the street and pray for them. I find it quite scary and um and so when she, when I was walking here and, and I heard pray for her, I didn't listen. And I was still walking her there, and I was um, chatting to her. I was like, "How are you getting home?" She's like, "I'm catching a taxi." So she does dialysis every week, so she gets dropped off by the ambulance, and then she goes home by taxi. I don't know how many times she does it, but um, it it just seemed like she was kind of like alone. So I, I was while I was walking her, I was like, "Man, God definitely brought us across paths so that I could bring goodness to her," and um was walking there and literally one step, like the door was right there. I um, <laughs> I stopped and I was like, would it be okay if I prayed for you? Um, And like my whole body was burning hot because I think sometimes I'm scared that if I ask someone for prayer, they're gonna say no. But this lady, like she was like, yes, please. Like, can you pray for me? Like I was surprised and so I prayed for her. Um, and I walked her through the door, and she was like, "Thank you so much." And you know, from that experience, Catherine um, shared a testimony last week about praying at the, the night markets in Hamilton. People are more open to prayer than what we think, and it, like it, it's so hard for us sometimes to be like, "I'm going to pray for that you know person," or that person needs prayer, and we get too scared to do it. But for that person, that could be their life saved. That could be another life to the kingdom. That could be another person healed. And so I just encourage you guys. Um, it's, it's scary, but once you've done it, it's not as scary as what you think it's going to be.
0: Great. Man, that is awesome, and uh, we love hearing those testimonies about people from Activate Church bringing goodness to our community. So if you've got a story like that, and uh, the reason we tell the stories is just to encourage each other that God is doing something in our city, and He's doing it through uh, His church. And so that's a great encouragement, so thank you, Tyra. The uh, incredible Aaron Boynes is going to lead us through communion now. So uh, let's give it up for Aaron.
3: Do you know what he has done for you? Do you know what he has done for you? Death, blood, body, sacrifice, brutal, instead of me, buried, sacrifice my sin darkness these are some of the words and feelings we cling to when we think or speak about the murder of Jesus Christ your death, your blood, your body brutalised instead of me you were buried my sacrifice for my sin and darkness. Jesus, I will eat and drink and remember, but I can't even look up at you. These things I carry force my head down. All the while he is over here, gently speaking his invitation. Look at me. Come to me. Look at me. Come before me. but I keep my head down low and I keep my eyes closed craving hope but feeling like a box of buried bones do you know what he has done for you? I have to confess that often I do not but I do know this the story of Jesus does not stop at death the story of Jesus does not stop at death. And what happened next changed everything from that point on and forever. What happened next is the single most hopeful event in history. After death, he rose to life. He truly conquered the grave and defeated death. What does this mean for me and for you? Every wrong thing Brutality, rude action, immoral thought, defiling word, harmful way. All the things that lead to death and therefore are a kind of death. He has done away with. Family, this is a joyful thing. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So why do I cling to death like it's my lifeline? I come and partake in communion and only think of his death. I only linger on the particular wrong I have done this week or morning or moment. I am faced with my inadequacies and my failures, my inability. I'm not saying we should not think on these things. We should. How can we not be faced with ourselves when we come to dwell on the perfect sacrifice he has made for us? But the whole point is that his resurrection leads us through all of that. Romans 6 Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that since we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. For you were dead, but now you have new life. There is a whole process at work here suffering to glory dirty to clean, sin to perfect, death to life. Resurrection is this ongoing cycle we must join in with to find new life. Oh God, your blood, your body, come to me. Oh God, your blood, your body, I hide my face. Broken and pulled out for your forgiveness. Come before me, look at me. Join me in my death. And resurrection and realize new life. Realize the joy I have set before you. One of the lines of the song I'm about to share with you says, Resurrect your righteousness in me. The word speaks of the righteousness of faith, that by believing, by trusting Him and His Word, I am made righteous. You are made righteous. So let's believe him together that he has been resurrected and that we can also be resurrected. The person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. And as we share this song, take it as a time to reflect and remember, yes, but also take this time to pray and ask God what it truly means to come before him and to help you do just that. Ask him, what needs resurrecting in me? What death have I been holding on to that I need living power to bring to life? This process looks different and takes different lengths of time for different people. And tonight you might not feel like you're in a place where you can follow through with the fullness of this process from death to life. But know that you have an inherently an inherent ability to join in him, his resurrection you have an inherent ability in you to join him in his resurrection. And that doesn't change. And the invitation into resurrection is always standing. It doesn't end when we leave this building. No way. His invitation always stands. The blood and the body are up the back. If you wish to partake in them tonight, then from now on, You're welcome to do so. Is no man than this, than he who lays down his life for his friend. He calls us his friend. He's laid down his life. He's called us friend.
1: Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me when I call? Is it true that you are thinking of me? That you love me? It's amazing it's amazing oh and i am a friend of god i am a friend of god i am a friend of god he called me friend i am a friend of god i am a friend of god He
2: calls me friend
1: He calls me friend mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? Is it true that you are thinking of me, that you
2: love me? God, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God, He's called me a friend, God Almighty, God.
0: 30 service we sung a song and it was I exalt thee and I think that's one of the amazing things about our God is that we can stand there and go God you are Lord of all, Lord you are Lord of the creator, Lord we submit ourselves and then the other side we can go God you're our friend when, when you think about the, the two opposites kind of of that and our God is fully our friend yet he is fully Lord Is quite an awesome God that we serve. And so uh, my prayer is that tonight that you connect with God and you discover Him as your friend, but also as Lord. And uh, it is my absolute great pleasure to invite Pastor Ray up in the Word. So church, why don't we give Pastor Ray a massive round of applause as he comes up.
5: Great to see you, you're looking good, grab a seat, trust you've had a good day, well done guys, fantastic, Erin, wow, great on the keyboards, she's looking really hot, I can say that because she's my wife, wow, who's in for a good night, yeah, absolutely, we're going to have a great time, we are having a great time, so I've got a question for you, What does the Bible, this book, the Word of God, mean to you? It's an interesting question. What does the Bible mean to you? Is it a series of short stories? Jonah and the the whale, or Jonah and the really, really, really big fish? Uh, Daniel and the lion's Dean, What is it? Or is it a story that's part of a much, much bigger story? A one story of an amazing God who created the world and the universes and galaxies and planets and amongst all of that created this planet called Earth with its amazing biological and ecological systems and put man on it to care for it, to nurture it, to par- be his partners, to enjoy it, to look after it. And I love those programs by David Attenborough. And uh, as he just surveys the planet and goes over and looks at you know, the, 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 um, the whales and the killer whales and the Antarctic or the insects or on the deserts, it's just amazing. Don't you think? Just amazing the creation that God has made. And God has entrusted it to us to care for it. But we know the story in Genesis 2 where man goes his own way. And uh, rather than being in partnership with God... He says, Lord, I'm leaving what you want, and I'll go up my own way. Thanks very much. And so he covers himself with a fig leaf. I like to think of that as the first example of wearable art that didn't work out too well. The problem of this go-alone approach, it just ma- means we just leave or we'll miss out on God's very best. We come and encounter a world of sin and sickness, chaos and darkness, Pain and despair, it's just not good. But here's the great news. With all of that happening, God didn't give up on his creation. God didn't say, hey, I've made this and they have messed it all up. I'm just pulling myself out of that place and let's go and create another planet. Let's go and create another um, galaxy and start all over again. He chooses to say, no, I'm going to be with these guys. I'm going to redeem them back to what I have designed this place to be. So God's looking for partners, people that he can partner with to be a light to the nations, to make his name known, to show his love, to make disciples of the nations. And throughout the Bible, we have the stories of Bible characters who faithfully... Go on their way to show the light and goodness of God, to make God known. Some of them do it well, some of them don't do it so well. Some of them trip up just like you and I do. But they're there to make God known. And throughout this year, I've been looking at the book of Philippians. And if you have your Bibles, let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. And uh, I'm going to read this verse, but I'm not going to actually dig into this verse. I'm going to go right back. Uh, to the time of Abraham, we're going to look at all the history that leads up to the Apostle Paul writing what he's written here. So in Philippians 1.5, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. I'll say it again. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Why is spreading the good news so important? And how did it all begin? And that's what I want to have a look at tonight. How did it all begin? So to find the story of how it all began, we have to go into the desert. About 3,000 years ago, maybe 4,000 years ago. And we find in the desert that God chooses some nomads, Abraham and Sarah, to make God known to the nations. God chooses these people. And he says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 10, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and hollowing waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of the eye." eye. God chose these nomads, Abraham and Sarah. He blessed them and prospered them so they could make God known. And they were wealthy. They had lots of sheep, lots of cattle, lots of camels. And uh, by our standards, life is pretty simple. No microwaves. No barista made coffee. Where are you, Phil? I feel like one right now. Do you know what? I've been off coffee for two months now. Yeah, two months with no coffee. Thank you, Mr. Alan Hall. Alan's way encouragement. I think he's been off for about four. Is that right? So um, I'm trying to catch up there. No lazy boy chair to sit down and uh, flick the remote and watch TV channels or watch the latest sports or movies. Life was very simple. God found these two people, Abraham and Sarah, who were passionate for him and passionate to live for the purposes of God. They were willing to be partners in the purposes of God. And because of this, God said, you will be a blessing to the nations, to all the nations. And here's the thing, God is still working out this plan. He's still looking for partners today, 4,000 plus years on. He's inviting you and I to be partners in this amazing story to see the world redeemed. Now, there was no remotes, there was no TVs, no Lazy Boy chairs. And in their houses, their houses were really, really simple. Um, there was no heat pumps. It's tough. No heat pumps to warmer houses in winter or cooler houses in summer. No computers, no Xbox games and the like. Their houses were basic. And in many ways, their houses were just tents. And they were nomads, and they would pick up their tents, and their tents were made of animal skins. In more developed areas, they would build up houses made of bricks. And for the roofs, they would put tents over them. Inside the house, it was simple, living quarters, sleeping quarters, basically two rooms, to live in and to sleep in. And outside was where they would prepare their food, cook meals, they would spin wool, they would make bricks to build houses, um, they would make pottery uh, so they could eat from. And uh, unlike our families or our homes, which have two to maybe seven, eight people in them, maybe a little bit more there would be at least 60 to 70 people living in these tents or these homes. And sometimes it would be hundreds. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Although Abraham's living conditions were very, very simple and very basic, the society, the community that he lived in, wasn't. It was very, very well structured, and we're going to look at that. Abraham lived in a tent, and the way that they lived was called, he was the patriarch, a patriarchal society. And that means that in that society, the father is the head of the household. It doesn't mean suppression of anyone. It doesn't mean putting anyone down, but he is the head. He governs, he leads, he oversees his family. Wise, mature men investing into the interests of everyone. Now that doesn't mean women never have a say. You'll be pleased to know, ladies. <laughs> Wendy, you'll be pleased to know this. Uh, this is what the Lord says. The Lord said to Sarah, and I don't know if I should read this because this could end me up in some trouble at home, but the Lord said to Sarah in Genesis 21, 12, do whatever Sarah tells you. <laughs> Oh dearie me. The Lord says, do whatever she tells you. So he's the patriarch, he's the leader, and do whatever your wife says. Man, that's gonna cost a lot of money. <laughs> that could get really, really expensive. Do you know my wife? She asked me to buy rings all the time. <laughs> but it's so lovely because I love buying rings for my wife. <laughs> yeah, good save. Enough about that. The Lord said to Sarah or to Abraham, do whatever Sarah tells you. Now, the central thought, the central mindset, the central attitude of a patriarchal society is the idea of redeem. I'm going to explain what that means. It's all about redemption. What does that word mean, you ask? Good question. Well, the Bible uses the word a lot. In Exodus 6, 6, it says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. That's the Lord speaking. Now, Isaiah 41, 14, Though you are a lowly wormer, Jacob, don't be afraid, people of Israel, for I will help you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I am the Holy One of Israel. And to John the Baptist's father Zechariah in Luke 1 67 and 68. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. So, what is this redeem business that God is really into? You might think redeem is a biblical idea, a religious idea. Well, it's not. It's a patriarchal idea. Let me show you how it works. Imagine we are in a family, but imagine we're in a really large family. And the patriarch of the the family, Alan, if you wouldn't mind standing, is Alan. Give him a hand. He's the patriarch of the family. So, this is how it works. In the family, we have sons and we have daughters. Some are married. There's extended family. You can sit down, Alan, thanks. There's extended family. There's cousins. There's brothers. There's aunts and uncles. There's children. And the family can be very large. As I said, 60 to 70 can be into hundreds. And uh, just imagine a big family going to the bathroom in the morning. Wouldn't that be terrible? Get out. Where's my toothbrush? You use my toothbrush. Who's used up all the toothpaste? What's this hair doing in the shower? Get out of the shower. You've been there for over an hour. I know what that's like with raising two girls. It's just, I can imagine all the arguments that were happening there. I'm sure you've got your own stories. But what is the role or the responsibility of the patriarch, of Alan, in this example? His role, the patriarch, is to take care of all your needs, every need you have, He's responsible to take care of it. That means you've got to be clothed, you've got to be fed, you've got to be housed, you've got to be educated, you've got to be skilled in your trade or your business. He is responsible. If you want some new clothes, you go and see Alan. If you want a new laptop, go and see Alan. <laughs> if you want a new car, go and see him after the service. <laughs> <laughs> Sick of the push bike? Just go and see Alan. Alan. He's responsible for it, but guess what? In that responsibility, he owns all the resources of the family all the houses, all the cattle, all the sheep, all the camels, all the laptops, all the Xboxes, all the Ferraris. It's a wealthy family. He owns it all, including the toothpaste. <laughs> And Alan, as the patriarch, is there to secure or make sure you are safe and secure and that you have significance and success as part of that family or household. Well, you might say that's pretty cool, and I think it is. But here's one of the things that's important for the children, that because Alan provides other the needs... Kids can't say, I want this and I want that with an attitude of entitlement. And do you know this attitude of entitlement is really something that impacts our world today? The definition of entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. And you see it everywhere. And can I really encourage you, don't be a person who thinks they're entitled because you end up becoming a victim when things don't work out the way you want. Rather... The antidote to entitlement is to be grateful for whatever and wherever you are, to be grateful. I love 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful, be grateful is a great antidote for it. Here's a quote by Breen uh, Brown. She's an author. What separates privilege from entitlement, she writes? It's gratitude. Now, having said that the role of Alan is to provide... All these things to um, provide. There's another key part of Alan's role. And uh, I don't know if he likes this or not, actually. I'm sure he does. But it is to protect, to guard, and to watch over. And if somebody in the family becomes marginalized, captured by an enemy, is injured outside the family, the patriarch's job is to go out there and find that family member and bring them back into the household where their needs can be met. Bring them back into the house, the father's house. And in Hebrew, it's called Bethab. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Bethab? Say it a little bit louder, Bethab. Ab. Yeah. yeah. That means the father's house. The the role of the patriarch is to bring those that are marginalized, struggling, back into the household, back into the father's house. And the patriarch says, whatever it takes, Eleanor is saying to himself, whatever it takes, I'm going to bring these family members back into the household where all their needs are met, because he's the patriarch. And uh, if some property has to be sold because or gets stolen, Alan will even go after that property and pay the money to bring it back into the household, to bring it back into the Father's house. And that's what the word redeem means. To bring back, to buy back, to restore back into the Father's house what has been lost, what has been stolen, what has been injured, to restore it back into the Father's house. It means the patriarch will do whatever it takes to bring back, to restore into the, the Father's house. That's the concept of redeem. And so when the Lord says, I have redeemed you, Israel, He's not giving on His creation. He says, I'm bringing you back. I'm restoring you. I'm bringing into you my household. Isn't that cool? Psalm 116.10, I will redeem you from your enemies. I will bring you back from your enemies. Psalm 103, verse 4, I will redeem you from the pit. Psalm 130, verse 8, I will redeem you from your sins. I will bring you back from your sins. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins, it says in Psalm 130 verse 8. God rescues and restores lost children to the Father's house. Now what happens, sorry about this, Alan, when the patriarch dies? (laughs) Sorry, Alan. (laughs) Great patriarch role you played. Well, guess what? the oldest son gets the biggest share of the resources a double portion you just imagine going into your family if you've got children and at christmas time and saying guess what when mum and i are gone our oldest son is going to get all the resources all the house the cars and everything and the rest of you are going to miss out sorry i did that one christmas <laughs> I said to my children, my four children were together around a lovely meal. It was going really, really nicely. And I said to them, guess what's going to happen when mum and I die? I said, I'm going to give all of our stuff to our oldest child, which is my daughter. So she smiled, rubbed her hands. I said, look, I just need to refine that my oldest son. And her face dropped and my son smiled. And he thought this was pretty cool. In Western society, that sort of approach just doesn't cut it. But in the times of Abraham, when there was the resources passed to the oldest son, the rest of the family would rejoice. The rest of the family would just jump for joy and go, yeah, they'd have a party, they would dance. Because now this meant this new patriarch. He had to meet the needs of the family. He had to clothe them, feed them, house them, educate, train, and so on and so forth. Isn't that amazing? But in our society, it's certainly not the way it goes. Now, biblically, God is the Father, and the Father's house is his community of believers. And the firstborn receives more resources or to use the biblical language, a double portion. And if you have your Bibles, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17. And it says, As the firstborn, giving him double share of all that he has. That's the patriarch passing on to the next generation, giving double of everything that he has. Now, who was God's firstborn child? Any answers who God's firstborn was? Any takers? Adam? Good answer. Not quite for this. We're going to read. He was the first Adam, and Jesus is the last Adam. Was it Jesus? Good answer. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus uh, chapter 4, verse 22. And this is really interesting. And this is the Lord speaking to Moses, saying, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says Israel. Is my firstborn son. So here's the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. And the Lord is saying, Here is my firstborn son. And I told you, Let my son go. This is what you had to say to Pharaoh, so he may worship me. Now here's the thing God says to Israel, You're my firstborn son. Get double portion of all the gifts. A land flowing with milk and honey. I will bless you and I will prosper you. Why? So you can go out to the nations and bring back those that are lost, marginalized, into the Father's house. Now sometimes Israel did a good job of that and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they shared the resources, other times they kept them to themselves and pushed back the people that they should have been helping And God said, that's enough. We're now going to have a second firstborn. Who knows who that is? Jesus. And we read in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the Father has given all the resources now to a second firstborn son. The firstborn son, Israel, was of the earth. Jesus, the first, firstborn of heaven, if you like, has been given all the resources. And if we read to John 3, verse 35 and 36, the father loves his son and has put everything into his hand. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. So God placed all the resources in Jesus' his hands so that he might bring redeem, restore the lost children of the world into the Father's house. And in saying that, God is looking for partners. He's looking to you and me as partners. And Jesus, to redeem, to bring back into the Father's house, as we heard from Aaron during communion, has paid an enormous debt to bring us back. He gave up his life. He shed his blood. But praise God, the story doesn't end there. He was resurrected. And so Jesus goes on to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And redemption or redeem to bring back is just not going to heaven, and that's absolutely wonderful. But it's about bringing people, lost people, marginalized people, Into the family of God to a place of belonging, and it's one of our values. Isn't that awesome? A place of belonging. And so that's what God's on about from the very beginning, with it starting from Abraham to where it is right now. God is saying, Will you partner with me? Will you do everything you can, like the patriarch, that will go and save and rescue, to bring back, to restore. To its rightful place into the Father's house. Because outside of the Father's house, it's not secure and it's not safe. A couple of Bible illustrations. We'll look at Abraham and Lot. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 11 to 16, I won't read it all for time, but four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Verse 14, when Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive... This is the patriarch. When he heard that his relative, he's part of the family, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit. Verse 16, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions. He redeemed them. He brought them back into the father's house together with the woman and the other people. Does Abraham do that because he's really happy with Lot? Oh, I like the choices you've made, Lot. Not. You can just sort it out yourself. But as the patriarch, he will do anything and everything to bring back into the Father's house what has been lost. And so that's why he puts his life and the lives of his trained men in danger, to bring back Lot's... And his possessions into the Father's house. Then there's the story of Ruth and Naomi. Here's another one Hosea, chapter 1, and verse 2 and 3. And uh, this is a story about where the Lord speaks to the prophet Hosea. And it's a short book, and I really encourage you to read it. And uh, the Lord says, I want you to marry this prostitute. She's marginalized, she's living a life of squalor, she's in a lot of difficulty. And I want you to bring her in under your house. Bring her into the father's house. Bring her in that she might uh, have her needs met. And so Hosea does that. They bore bare three children. But she went back to her old ways. And her life just wretched the very pits, the very bottom. And the Lord spoke to Hosea in Hosea chapter 3. You can read it there. And he said, She's been sold. I want you to buy her. I want you to bring her back into your household. So here's Hosea in front of his neighbors. And maybe some of her neighbors knew her a lot well, a lot better than what they should have. But Hosea buys her back that she might come into the household to redeem her to restore here. Isn't that awesome? Just wonderful. Today I I read in the newspaper, who's heard of um, Nicholas Winton? A UK, um, you you may know him, Dave, 106, I think the oldest person in the UK at the moment, passed away in the last couple of weeks. Um, The article read, That um, during the Second World War, 1938, 1939, just as the Second World War started, he was aware of what the Nazis were doing, particularly against the Jews. So he arranged for hundreds of children to be evacuated out of Europe and to go into London, into homes with mums and dads. And these little children, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, were on the train station crying not wanting to leave their parents, their parents insisting that they go to a home that was in England. And after the Second World War was over, the children went back, or some of them did anyway, um, along with uh, Nicholas Winton, to see if any of the parents were still alive. Not one of the parents was alive, but he saved hundreds of children he brought them back. He restored them. He paid the price for every child that he saved. It cost him 50 pounds. He said it, it was so difficult. He was fighting the authority. He was begging for money to save these kids. But like a patriarch, he'll do whatever it takes to bring them back, to bring them back home, to bring them into the father's house. Some of those children went on, and they called themselves Winton's Children to have great careers. Others were writers, film film producers, and so on and so forth. And they did a a biography, a documentary of his life. And uh, he was a very humble man that didn't want any acknowledgement. And uh, he was in this um, studio. It was all filmed. And unbeknown to him were these children, as adults now in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And uh, they just stood up. And they said, I'm here today because you brought me. Another one stood up. I'm here today because you brought me. He redeemed them. He saved them. He brought them into the Father's house. That's what God is up to. Bringing lost children into the Father's house. And Abraham is such a wonderful example of this. And Abraham's reach to lost family members just didn't end there. He would reach out to strangers, and we haven't got enough time to go into it. I'm going to finish shortly. But it says in in, uh, Genesis 18, three strangers were approaching from a long way. And it said he ran to them. He ran to them to show them the father's house. There's only three old men in the Bible that run. One is Abraham, one is Esau running to Jacob, and the other is the father in the story of the prodigal son. And so Abraham is reaching out to strangers. Reaching out to the marginalized. So my question to you today, this evening, who are you reaching out to? Who are you sharing the good news and showing acts of God's kindness that people might come in and be brought into, redeemed, restored into the Father's house? Jesus has paid an amazing price. And the invitation he gives to every one of us is to be partners with him. It's an incredible invitation and I want to encourage this church, don't ever underestimate your part to play in bringing people into the Father's house. As we've heard from Tyra this evening, lots of stories. We are called to partner with God and His plan of redemption, that heaven would be populated for the glory of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to give an invitation, if there's anybody here this evening, that you're not sure that you've been brought back, restored into the Father's house, into relationship with Jesus Christ, where you can say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, my friend. I want to give you the opportunity tonight to say, yes, I'm coming back into the Father's house. That's why every eye is closed and head is bowed. Can you give me a wave? great it's awesome just take a few more moments I just want to ask another question too if you're here this evening and going gee Lord maybe I haven't taken this partnership with you as seriously as I should have and I want to do whatever it takes like Abraham like Hosea Like Ruth and Naomi, like Nicholas, Winton, to bring people back to the Father's house. If that's you tonight, can you give me a wave? That's cool. That's great. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you, Lord. We thank you that you are a God of redemption who brings back, who draws back us into your kingdom. Father, I pray that we'd be a church that's on mission with you to play our part in the redemption of people in our community and this nation and the nations. That Jesus, you would be glorified and that heaven would be populated. Father, I thank you for your word that you said, or Jesus, you said, I go and prepare a place for you in my Father's house. Thank you for that, Lord. May we walk worthy of the calling and be as the example of Abraham, of Hosea of Jesus himself to do all we can to see people restored and brought back into the Father's house in Jesus name we pray Amen God bless you church thank you, thanks Luke Awesome. When we give Pastor Ray a hand that was awesome,
0: good challenge And so uh, we're gonna finish the service with a song, but just before we do, just a few reminders. We have giving stations on the way out, so uh, we're a church that is purposed around our giving, so I encourage you to be involved there. Also, uh, the young adults are going to the helm after the service, so if you need uh, directions or anything like that, see, I don't know who, Melina, I guess that's just default. that's Peter's girlfriend. Anyway. um, (laughs) Yeah, anyways. um, And yeah, so will not you stand and uh, we'll sing one more song and then uh, have a blessed week. Share God's goodness. Uh, And also, sorry, I did, there was one thing I was trying to think about. Now I remember it. If you would like prayer, we have a prayer team. So just come up the front after the song and uh, for anything, for what Pastor Ray talked about, or if you're in need of some healing or anything like that, come make your way to the front and there sh- should be a prayer tank. Choice. Thanks, band. Who am I that
2: you
1: are mine?